What's up, Christian AFers? I just made that up. <laughs> Probably we don't like that. Anyway, uh, on today's episode, we've got another interview for you. We are talking to Colin Kerr. He is a um, pastor from Parkside Church in the, South Carolina. The Holy Reverend Colin Kerr. Holy Reverend. <laughs> he also is an author of a book called Faith, Hope, Love, The Essentials of Christianity for the Curious, Confused, and Skeptical. So basically, our listeners. Uh, and so he really, this book is, uh, it is excellent. And uh, we, t- we talk through um, the book with him a little bit. We talk a lot about faith and where um, the church is hitting and missing on things um, currently in this the cultural climate uh, and a lot of other things in between. Um, sit back, relax, have a drink. Here we go. All right, <laughs> Colin, thanks for joining the Christian AF podcast. Um, I'm Evan. This is I'm Jesse. I'm Jen. And welcome. So today we have Colin Kerr on our podcast. He's a pastor. He uh, just recently wrote a book, right? Like, I don't know, a few months ago it was published. Yeah. Yeah. Good pandemic release. Big money. Yeah. Big money in the <laughs> pandemic. That book, uh, that book tour, the, the virtual book tour, you know, <laughs> uh, it's cheaper called, that way. Uh, faith, hope and love. Uh, there's a tagline. I got to look. What's the tagline on this? The essentials of Christianity for the curious, confused and skeptical. So if you really you really needed that tagline, too, because then people thought it might be like eat, pray, love or something. <laughs> I know, so. Yeah. Tagline was clutch. That's, yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a story of a, it's like the man's version. It's like a story of a man going through, I don't know. <laughs> meet, I never read the book. I saw yeah. the movie. Did you? With what's her name? I did not see it. So Julia, Julia Roberts. Roberts? Something yeah. like so Colin, let's, uh, so tell us a little about yourself. Uh, you're a pastor. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you gotten to do that. Your church um, for us. It's a unique church. Uh, looked it up for a little bit and kind of, I've watched some of your videos and stuff like that. So tell us a little about your church. It's a different than what cool. I would. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I have the the great joy and honor of being the founding pastor of a church called Parkside. Uh, we just are about to celebrate our first birthday, which, you know, there's nothing more exciting than having a birthday in a pandemic. Uh <laughs> We were literally like just we were chugging along for six months and then we shut down in-person worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been as far as church planning goes, uh, I give it one star. Do not recommend <laughs> starting a church in a plague. Okay. Uh, but the community is really amazing. And it, it was born out of I did campus ministry. I planted two campus ministries in Charleston, South Carolina, where I live. Did campus ministry for eight years, uh, went to seminary, got ordained over that course of time. And essentially, you had folks that were going to college and they were graduating and sticking around and really struggled to find a church, uh, as well as I did a lot of work with young professionals. And we were getting older and they they kept kind of saying, well, let's just start a church. And I was like, that's a terrible idea. Uh, <laughs> church planning is really hard and it would never work. But, uh, you know, they you say that the thing uh uh, you make a plans and God laughs. Well, uh, we made a joke and then God started making plans. So <laughs> through a crazy like two year process, uh, we ended up starting this church. And the other kind of need that was born out of it was uh, doing campus ministry. I always had this problem where 
Uh, I wanted to get students involved in the local church. You know, parachurch ministry is great, but it's it's not an intergenerational church community. But I always had this problem because I had to put like an asterisk on wherever I recommended students. So Mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, well, this church is pretty good, but, you know, they don't let women be leaders. Or, (laughs) hey, this church is great, but if you're gay, uh, uh, you just don't talk about that. You know, like there was always this asterisk I had to put on it. And and I really just wanted to have a church where I say, go to this church, get plugged in there. They're amazing. And that never happened. And for the eight years of campus ministry, I was shocked that none of those kind of churches ever came along. And so it was kind of born out of a need in our our community to have a church um, that was feminist, LGBT inclusive, uh, science, uh, but also maintaining uh, a a commitment to biblical truth and proclaiming the gospel in a a classic orthodox fashion. And those kind of things were kind of, for whatever reason, hard to come by in our city. Uh, And so that was that was uh, what kind of caused Parkside to exist. Yeah, right on. And it's so Parkside, if I'm not mistaken, it's two congregations in one. Yeah, we have one of those here in town. Oh, cool. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's really weird. We were we we're going to rent out this Lutheran uh, sanctuary, this Lutheran church that was down to about 15 people. And then over like right before we ended up starting the the Lutheran church, who I was semi pastoring at the time because they didn't have a pastor. They're like, why? Why would you just pay us rent so we can like pay our part time pastor? that we don't have to do sermons for 15 people, let's just join up with y'all. And it was a really high Lutheran church, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, pretty much like Catholic level. And so it was really crazy to have them like form in with us. And we're still separate in terms of, you know, polity and finances, but we worship together, we do ministry together, and they helped form this uh, new church process. And so we started out at the gate, like as an intergenerational congregation, nice. uh, which has been a really beautiful and challenging and oh yeah interdenominational in yeah. some ways as well yeah. yeah that's that's awesome and so parkside so you guys are presbyterian did you say that right is that am i yeah. making that up right no okay. you're right I'm, I'm presbyterian and they're and they're lutheran and presby's and lutherans they play nice together yeah. we have called shared communion so we yeah. can change our pastors back and forth okay yeah, yeah, yeah. we have um in our town in rockford it's a presbyterian church usa and uh is it congregational? You, why do you I think, think I know UCC, that? You're the pastor. I believe. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a doable merger as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like, I don't know, some weird evangelical church met, <laughs> trying to make that work or whatever, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, man, your book is really great. I was, we were, I, when when you first, when we first connected about the podcast, uh, I started looking at it and the irony of it is that we, we've been kind of going through this whole year that same idea of the ascent like the basis the foundational beliefs of christianity in -hmm. general i've only been here for a year and a half Mm -hmm. right yeah i've only been here for a year and a half our church is 10 11 years old Mm -hmm. so i've only been here a year and a half and we've been i was like you know what let's just start with i always wanted to do a whole year dedicated to just basic christian ideas or christian theological ideas or missiological ideas uh and so the book i i when when we first started the conversation, I started looking at the book. I was like, "Man, this is awesome!" And I took some stuff for sermons <laughs> <laughs> when I did it. Good, um, but yeah. So, what is the uh, like? What's the? I know it's in the book, but it kind of like your reason for writing it. But uh, like, what's the the idea behind the book? The big thing. 
Yeah, so this this is really born out of uh, campus ministry experience with, with college students and young adults, uh, folks that were were coming to campus and having these existential crises, mm. crises, crises. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That where yeah, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> where they had this very myopic view of what Christianity was, and usually mm-hmm. very constrained, mostly because they just weren't exposed to anything other than maybe a particular flavor in a small town. They get to college, they bump into other Christians, they bump into other worldviews, they're, they're, you know, they're bio majors, yeah. and they're starting to go, well, you know, what, what can I believe as mm-hmm. a Christian? Am I allowed to believe these things? If I believe these other things, uh, can I still be a Christian? And mm-hmm. there was just a ton of confusion and pain and heartbreak. And so I wanted to, to give students a book that I could say, like, hey, just read this. If you're on board with this, mm-hmm. you're cool, and we can work out the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't find that book. Uh, yeah. you, you know, there's great theology books out there that do give systematic theology, but they're 400 pages. Yeah. You know, you, you don't yeah. got time for that. I know. Yeah. Um, and, and then there are some shorter accessible books. Uh, but the problem I found with that is they're generally written by uh, fundamentalist or conservative evangelical authors that I believe smuggle a lot of secondary or tertiary doctrine yeah. and present it as well, this is essential to being a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so when a student reads, they're like, oh, you have to believe the earth is 6,000 years old to be a Christian. Well, shoot, I guess they're, they're going to feel like they're out. Yeah. Um, and then the third kind of book, which was probably the best luck I had, but even then it, it didn't work too well, was there's actually some great mid-century books. Uh, so, you know, John Stott's Basic Christianity, yeah. Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis. These are, these are good, solid works. Only problem is, they're written with a modernist framework from the yeah. mid-century, mm-hmm. uh, and they bring in all these assumptions that for their secular audience in the day, they would have been like, yeah, this is this is fine. Yeah. But for our postmodern audience, they're just saying things that people would not assume and would actually kind of derail them from their general arguments. And yeah. so I kind of set out to do, all right, what was uh, kind of Stott's basic Christianity for our modern audience or our postmodern audience uh, in a way that could be accessible and essential uh, and, and ecumenically gracious. Yeah, for sure. The, um, yeah, cause I, I it's funny cause I've found the same thing and I used to work at Lifeway <laughs> Christian stores really? for th- <laughs> only three months. Uh, I was unemployed. Oh, they, they kicked you out that fast, huh? Basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, I remember I was like, Oh, this is gonna be good. I'm going to help people buy Bibles. Uh, and that was kind of my job. I was essentially a Bible salesman. And, uh, I was like, this is going to be fun. Uh, but while I was like perusing, because nobody went to a Lifeway store, let's be honest. So while I was just like standing there for four or five hours a day, I would try to find those books. And so I would pick up like uh, there's a what a central gospel or something by Matt Chandler or whatever it is. Essential oh, the Jesus. explicit gospel. Explicit Dude, that's gospel. The book I'm talking about. Oh, is it okay? <laughs> I, all right. I literally had to cut out pages of that book and hand it to students at one point. Yeah. <laughs> cut out pages. Yeah. The thing <laughs> is, that. Yeah. Cause uh, I hadn't, I hadn't done a lot. Like I didn't know Matt Chandler's stuff. Like he's a little bit, obviously more in that. He's like John MacArthur light basically. in a lot of his like views and stuff. Um, but I, re- I remember when he split up his church a couple years ago, I was like, I like that. That's nice. Like he has a massive church and he's releasing all these campuses to be their own churches. I was like, he has, he has the right idea. And so I was like, this book must be good. And I remember saying like, okay, 6,000 years, uh, that's not very smart. Or like there was this anti-intellectualism almost mm-hmm. within that in general. Um, 
But yeah, though, that that's a really good point. Like that C.S. Lewis thing. I always tell people, let's just begin with mere Christianity and then write down everything that you have wrong with it. And then we can have discussions about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like whatever it is, like we'll just have discussions on what. It, and plus the problem with, with C.S. Lewis is for postmodernists, I guess, 21st century Americans, like his stuff is not the easiest to read. <laughs> yeah. to British English is, yeah. is beautiful yet challenging. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's like, it's, it is a really good point. There are not a very many books at all. I mean, you could go to like the Wayne Grudem's, but he's very like that, that kind of systematic theology, very, uh, slanted, I guess, to, to a certain, like, uh, hyper reformed, yeah, hyper reformed, uh, theology stuff, something like that. And then there's some older stuff that you could get into, but in general, you're right. There's not that accessible, I guess is the best word, mm-hmm. accessible book that doesn't take 14 years to read that speaks <laughs> your language. I mean, you could go to like some of the Rob Bell stuff, but uh, that stuff, you know, you just have to be in a certain mode and be able to think, be able to dream that Rob Bell's reading it to you so you can actually understand <laughs> what he's saying. Cause that's how he writes his book. So what you're saying is you need Colin to send you 20 copies of his book. Yeah. You can send me like 20 <laughs> copies of, of your book and we'll uh, just pass them out. Yeah. You did the work. We're good. Uh, but that's, yeah, it is really interesting. One of the, there's a quote as I was getting ready for uh, this interview. Uh, there's a book called the scandal of the evangelical mind written mm. by Mark Knoll. And the first line in that book is literally the scandal of the evangelical mind is, is that there isn't much of an evangelical mind. <laughs> and I kind of I use it as a springboard a lot for what we do because we at our church we do we're we dive heavily into hey there's a knowledge thing that needs to happen there's a understanding thing that needs to happen an intellectual thing that I think the church specifically like the evangelical churches mm-hmm. by and large have gotten away from um, but what would you think like it's no secret that Christianity whether it's uh, your 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 mainline churches or evangelical churches, although evangelicals will never like to admit it, but what would you think are the reasons that um, that people are just not digging faith? <laughs> They're just like, ah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna leave. You, you want me to get in trouble really fast? I do. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Yeah. Uh, well, I think y'all could probably tell similar stories. Is that? Uh, there is an anti-intellectualism strain in Christianity, which is problematic. Although I, I do adhere to the school right now is that is that our social witness uh, has been so poor, to yeah. use a, just a basic word, uh, that people are not seeing Christians uh, as emblematic of the good news. They see Christians and they see bad news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so I think that is a if we are viewed as bad news, it actually doesn't even matter how intellectual we are or how good our apologetics are yeah. um, or, or how well we think we're evangelizing or how well we're even uh, proclaiming the gospel with clarity. Because if ultimately they see the fruit of that, uh, of our institutions and our communities as bad news, uh, then people are not going to believe in the reality of the gospel. It will just kind of remain this abstract concept that doesn't actually uh, play out in real life, and maybe just looks good on a you know on a church website somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was talking. Uh, I was up in Maine. I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, visiting my brother, and we were talking about apologetics and uh, 
I'm not a huge, I used to love it like back in the day. I was like, oh yeah, we got to argue with everybody. Um, but we started talking about it and it really came down to, especially in like our, like our evangelical world, this idea of we've lost the apologetic, we called it just the apologetic of being or the apologetic of proximity. Mm. Uh, you know, we've removed ourselves highly from culture. And then you're right. Like the the gospel just doesn't make sense if people aren't actually presenting something that is good and holy and righteous and greater than if we're mm-hmm. spending too much on Facebook or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and and this is that's an interesting point because uh, during the editing process, I had a, a, a really large group of editors. Some of my more intellectual, apologetics oriented uh, editors were pushing back on me in this book like you need to put more apologetics mm. more argument yeah. into your book and you you might have noticed that one of the things i explicitly try not to do uh is argue with the reader yeah. uh yeah. and rather present this idea and this is obviously not an original thought but uh the idea that if uh christianity can be viewed as so beautiful that you wish it were true <laughs> then perhaps that is reason enough for you to investigate that it may actually indeed be true. Yeah. Uh, and that was really the, the goal of the content rather than an apologetic context. But it was interesting to see how some Christians were like, wait, why aren't you arguing with folks? That's actually really good. You know, the I was sitting, I sat down the other day uh, with a friend, kind of a friend, a friend of a friend. <clears throat> we saw so our church meets in a brewery and then I. That's a good it, spot. It is a good spot. <laughs> And then I, my basically my office is also the brewery, so I just kind of <laughs> sit there all day every day. But I met with a buddy down there, or a friend of a friend, and we were, and he's he's from that that hyper reformed kind of an idea. He's very like very. I don't want to like crap on John MacArthur, but I do it often. Uh, <laughs> he's very in that camp, and he's very in like uh, kind of there. And we were talking about essentially like apologetics. I said, you you have to realize none of it, like nothing that you're trying to argue is going to make sense if they don't see or experience the fruit of what you're saying. Like, like you could sit there and argue intellectual points or really good philosophical arguments for or against a, a point, but it, it was going to be more, far more impactful is if you do as Jesus did, and that's kneel down by the lady at the well or pick up the lady from who was found in adultery. If you do those things, that's far more impactful mm-hmm. on people's Absolutely. lives. Um, what did he think of that? I mean, he, we argued. Well, we didn't argue. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not a. I'm not an arguer necessarily, but he, we when we had a. I mean, he pushed back on it. He was a younger kid, you know. I'm just trying to younger kid he is 23 maybe um <laughs> you're like not even 30 i am 30 oh you're 30 okay, <laughs> the uh but yeah so we, but we just just discussion he kind of pushed back on that and there's this weird world and um doing college ministry specifically so you talk about this like this social aspect of the church um and i do see mainline churches tend to be way more socially active than evangelical evangelical churches are much more uh i don't really know what i guess serving like they it's like one day a year throw on the t-shirt and serve your community type of a thing (laughs) um and so what do you think like why do you think there's a divide there because i've tried to think about this that that kind of that 
that split that happened, I guess, at some point where you're more made like you're Presbyterians, you're Lutherans, you're mm-hmm. even Catholics to a certain extent. Um, they became much more socially aware, whereas evangelicals said, well, we're going to be super staunch on sh- social things, but we're still going to, I don't know, clean up the trash on the road or whatever it is, you know. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of this goes uh, back to the concept of uh, enlightenment individualism Uh. and our understanding or not understanding of systems and structures. And you actually really see this right with uh, racial justice movements right now. Uh Uh, Christians who tend to support racial justice movements are involved. They view... uh, they view the fall. They view uh, our, our sense of I'll be a Presbyterian for a moment, our total depravity yeah. as not just something that affects us as individuals, but affects systems as well. Therefore, we actually need to combat sin both on an individual level, but also on a systemic level. Yeah. In evangelical cultures, uh, they tend to view everything through an individual lens and framework. So sin yeah. is about the individual. Salvation is about the individual. Even reconciliation and redemption is primarily about the individual. Therefore, it's harder for evangelicals to look at a culture or a politic or an economy and see systemic sin, much less the need for systemic redemption. Uh, and so what you end up seeing is evangelicals tend to do kind of the, you know, the, the, the serve days. They jump yeah. in, they do some good things. Uh, maybe they build some relationships. which is great, right? You, yeah. rela- uh, evangelicals do relationships well, but they don't really conceptualize uh, the, the systemic level. Now let's pick on the liberals though, too, right? So, <laughs> this is my own denominations beef, right? Yeah. Is, um, we're great at getting systems, right? But we have a harder time recognizing the need for, uh, personal redemption mm-hmm. and personal reconciliation and our own individual sin. Yeah. Uh, and therefore we're, we do great at systems and racial justice. But then when we try to like look within about like, oh, I need an actual savior to forgive me of my, yeah. you know, sin. And we're like, oh, that's that's a little harsh of language. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so the, these are the, the two tensions that really have existed throughout, really, the, from the beginning of the early 20th century, the fundal, fundamentalist modernist controversy. Yeah. Where you see these two sides kind of shifting to these edges. And then a lot of us are kind of stuck in the middle trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a, uh, yeah, you, you bring up like a good point. So go ahead. I mean, I feel like I've been stuck in the middle of that controversy Except forever. He believes in 6,000 year old, <laughs> year old earth. So that's no, right. that's not what I've said. This is going to be every episode. This comes up now. It's just like one of those concept, concepts that like I grew up in a very evangelical based home and everything like I grew up learning and, and going through was taught as this is the truth. If you don't believe this, he was also homeschooled. Yeah, I was homeschooled. <laughs> Shut up. Um, yeah, but basically like that whole thing. And so like, I think throughout, especially my twenties, thirties, you know, now have been rolling over the, like a lot of those concepts that have been taught to me as like, this is truth. And if you don't believe this, you have a problem with your Christian faith, you know, like, and, and is making me go back and say like, is that really the case? Is that like, just cause I don't believe this thing, does that all crumble? No, it does. I mean, no, it doesn't. And I think that's the thing that I like about what you're saying here is that, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. And I think people dumb it down. Can I ask how you got there? Because I feel like that's something that I've heard from a lot of young adults is that like, if you don't believe X doctrine, you can no longer authentically 
or with integrity call yourself a Christian? So how did you get to that place where you could say with integrity, I have some questions about these things, but I don't feel like it's going to unravel my faith? Um, I think a lot of it, um, that's hard to say. Like, I mean, quite honestly, the very beginning of my probably questioning and pushing back came from a lot of the earlier Rob Bell kind of stuff that, you know, it, it was new at that time. And you're like, oh, wait, you know, like it's a gateway drug. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. So, I'm, I mean, honestly, the, I mean, some of that, but like, quite honestly, the the stuff that kept me pushing and digging and, and trying to figure that out myself is stuff that uh, we just recently started these up again. But our church, uh, having been 10 years old, when we started our church, uh, we started these things called Doubt Nights and we'd go to the pub and sit down and talk about things that usually you're not allowed to ask questions about, or you're told if you're asking these questions, there's something wrong with your mentality on Christianity. And we'd sit there and mull over them, even if it seems stupid or inappropriate or, you know, whatever it is. And those were the things that probably shook me more than any single Sunday sermon I've ever gone through or any kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. It's like real, true, raw conversation with people hashing out theological ideas and being like, cool, you don't agree with me. That's fine. Here's a beer. Cheers. And that's fine. You know, and, and I think there's a healthiness to that. And I think that's one of the things that I've grown to love about some of the community that's in our church. We have a massively diverse group of people. We have insanely left-wing people, insanely right-wing people, people from a bunch of different backgrounds. We have some Trump hats. Yeah. And we have it, some and uh, anti-Trump hats. Yet it's still like. somehow cohesive and it works. And I don't know why that is. And I don't know. Like, I, I think I come down back to those doubt nights and, and now we're calling them theology pubs. We've restarted those this last year and they've been like my favorite thing ever. Like it's, and I think that's the thing is like, you don't have those places, especially growing up in a very church heavy, one minded uh, family or, you know, people that do grow up in that way. They don't, they're not allowed to ask the questions that like they're struggling with because they don't want to sound dumb. They don't want to sound like they don't believe you know, like it's just questions and it's, it's just a, it's a problem that we need to deal with more. And I think the more we deal with it and hug into it, it's, it's better for the community as a whole. Like you're, it's mm-hmm. okay to ask questions. It's okay to doubt and to be unsure about your faith because everybody, you know, you, you sit there and like question, like, sometimes I don't know if God's real, you know, I don't know, you know, but like, it's okay to have those thoughts, like it, but like dig into it. Don't just say like, yeah, screw it. You know? I don't believe in God because I see all this bad stuff. So I'm done. Like you're not digging into the the hard stuff of it. And I think that's what I've loved about doubt nights and the things that have made me get to that point of being okay with that my mentality and thought process is just like, yeah, you're not always going to agree with people. You're going to have different religions, different sects of that same religion. You know, like people are going to argue till death because they want to, and it's fun and you know, whatever. But when it comes down to it, there's a healthiness to being able to question something, hash it over with friends and walk away for a minute and keep thinking about it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. The, um, the one thing I also think, um, and maybe this might be a purely American thing. I, yeah, I don't know really necessarily about Europe. Um, I know Europe technically there's stats that Europe has declined more, uh, when it comes to like faith adherence, I guess in general, Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like maybe in America, in the United States, um, everybody seems to be single issue focused, whether you're 
right leaning or left leaning or far right or left far left even in the christian world and i think i'm i'm just this thought just came in my head i think a lot of times the church is reactionary so like the definition of conservatism like very reactionary to things and the the fact that oh somebody has a question or somebody has this single issue whether it's uh, LGBTQ, whether it's uh, abortion or whether it's um, uh, Black Lives Matter, whatever, it's racial injustices. There are these certain issues that people kind of either latch onto in support of, latch onto against, and then they kind of stick with that. And then there's zero room for any tangible discussion or any mm-hmm. tangible, like real life. Like you said, like even if you're on the like the more liberal side and you're like, well, that language is a little harsh <laughs> when it comes like, we need the, we need to live. Like we need salvation every day of our lives. Right. <laughs> like, like we need that, but coming up, but let's go back to, because there are stats. I don't know if you follow Barna at all or even Pew yeah. research or whatever. Right. There are stats. I, you know, for the past 10 years, it's been like millennials suck. They're not going to church. They're leaving the church in droves. And then they just came out like a year and a half ago with the first Gen Z study. And they're like, if you thought millennials sucked, <laughs> wait for Gen Z to get older because they're going to suck even worse. And uh, and so but but this idea and I, honestly, I don't know the reason for. And it might be that the social thing coupled with. um maybe political. I mean, uh, Gabe Lines and Dave Kinnaman wrote that really great book uh, 13 years ago called Unchristian, which kind of, it's, I call it the anti-fruits of the spirit that the church tends to, <laughs> that the evangelical world tends to live out. Um, mm-hmm. But how, like, what would you say if we had to, as the church or if the church needs to kind of fix things, I don't even necessarily believe that fixing, I think we're really focused on growing a lot and we numerically rather than growing spiritually and maybe this is a time where we just stop and say hey we need to kind of reset the stage allow the world to kind of get a little chaotic and let's 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 embrace an underground movement i don't know but what are your thoughts like how do we address a lot of those concerns or if you have any theories or whatever oh you're asking the million dollar questions now like this <laughs> is am. the guy who yeah. figures this out gets a really <laughs> nice book deal yeah um, yeah so there we, yeah. next book i hear it coming along yeah <laughs> Um, so in regards to engaging millennials, right? Because everyone's, yeah, everyone's doing hand wringing over this. Um, what I think you're seeing right now in, in missional development and church planting is you're seeing more niche churches. So churches that, uh, are planning on staying relatively small, but being very effective at the demographic in which they are being sent to. That's our design as a church. Uh, we, we know we're not going to appeal, and I, I, I hate that attraction language, but we're not yeah. going to appeal to everyone. Uh, and that's okay because we're going to really appeal to a certain group of people who are looking for a certain kind of community and way of doing church. Yeah. Um, and I, so I think that's one effective thing that people are doing. But I think the wider spiritual principle uh, that is, I think a lot of people are talking about still is the importance of spiritual formation uh, over and maybe sometimes even against entertainment. Yes. Um, because yes, you can entertain people with, you know, funny sermons and really good music. And these critiques have been given by many people Yeah. Uh, and I have no problem with those things, but it, it's really whether you're seeing genuine spiritual formation, what are those mechanisms? How deep are those roots going? 
so that people are seeing their identity as a Christian different than the world, but also in a hopeful cause uh, in relation to the world. So here's what I mean by that is that uh, let's just say mainline Christians. Again, I'm going to pick on liberal friends here for a moment, right? Uh, their, their people are, are lovely. Typically, they do community service. They're more involved in social justice. They're very lovely, nice, tolerant people. But uh, a lot of them are like, well, what's what's the point? Like, I'm I'm just as nice as my non-Christian neighbor. They're not mm-hmm. just as nice as me. I guess we can all just be nice together. And if if your understanding of Christianity is be a slightly woke, you know, <laughs> nice person who recycles, yeah. well, then you really have no formative <laughs> spiritual identity that will actually last and, and create yeah. generational growth. Yeah. And then, of course, at the same time, conservatives have a better conception of, look, we need to be countercultural, we're not of the world. But it ends up creating this kind of siege mentality that you're against the world. Yeah. And yes, that will work for a time because people will be like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to fight the secular culture. But over time, that doesn't create generational growth as well, because either you burn out you find that it's actually not the way of Jesus <laughs> or, or some sort of thing that ends up working against itself. And so, again, the church has these two polar problems that it's struggling with, depending on your tradition. And the goal is to find that happy middle where you have an identity that is separate from the world. Your Christian identity is unique. But as a Christian, you actually have this mission of redemption and renewal and reconciliation for the world that God is leading and that you are partnering with. Yeah. It's funny you, you 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 talked about kind of niche churches. Last night we had a, a church leadership meeting and we we're talking about just advertising and like, okay, pandemic uh, in Illinois, at least we're starting to kind of open up slash kind of start to close down again. It's like a weird <laughs> middle ground that we're not sure where we're at. And um, but we were talking about some advertising. One thing we were talking about is like a tagline for the ad. That's not our vision. It's not our mission. Just something that's memorable. And mm. was it me who said, like, I just said, an acquired taste. <laughs> like, we're an acquired taste for people. Like, very just, like, kind of neat. Like, this is who we are. Uh, get over it. It was like, was it that? It was, we're not for everyone was yeah, another yeah, one yeah, that yeah, came out. We're not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's not untrue. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely not untrue. Um, but the, so you're in, is it, Char- you're in Charleston, yeah? Yep, Charleston, South Carolina, the holy city. The holy city, yeah. Is there a lot but not because we're very holy. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, uh, we were a city for religious freedom yeah. uh, during the colonial era. Uh-huh. So if you were a heretic, you came here. So, you okay. know, we, we fit in well. Yeah, 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 yeah. right on. The, uh, the, so, I, I mean, I lived in the south. I didn't live in the cool south like Charleston. I lived in the the south that everyone thinks of when they think <laughs> of the <laughs> south. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I lived in... Columbus, Georgia, which is a cool city, but uh, and then Enterprise, Alabama, which uh, you probably never heard of, and I don't expect you to. But that's <laughs> if you think of Alabama, you think of Enterprise, Alabama, and let's let's kind of the culture, current cultural climate. I don't want to get like into hardcore politics stuff. I try to uh, evade. I, it, no, yeah, like- <laughs> I, I try. Yeah, I'm like and abandon ship the. Um, uh, but current current cultural climate is specifically when it comes to, I would say, uh, a vast majority of Christians in the United States and embracing, obviously, uh, this all lives matter type idea. That's one or masks are a conspiracy or 
Q anon or whatever that oh, is. God. I just heard of that the other day. You just heard of that? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is this Q anon thing? So then I read Wikipedia for like four hours trying to figure out what they were talking it's the, about. Dude, it's the Q source, right? It's where Mark got most yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, I was like, oh, what is this? Yeah, this is the gospel. This is like that hidden gospel. Where's it at? Um, but the, yeah, the current climate, because I think <laughs> the one thing I think we talked about this last night is culture. I think culture has shifted in the past five months probably quicker than it has in decades. Maybe maybe Pearl Harbor might have been a super fast, mm -hmm. obviously like overnight kind of a shift, but you can make a case for 9-11, but that's still kind of, we all, we grieved for a long period of time before culture started yeah. to really shift. Here we see this cultural shift, and you could probably go back to 2016 with uh, Trump being elected or anything like that. But like what in your view, where are Christians uh, doing okay in this cultural climate? And then where because I've seen some hopeful things, but I've also obviously we've seen some super negative things. So like both positive, <laughs> negative and just lay into it if you want to. I don't care. Where have Christians been doing? Well, I'm glad you're asking where they're doing well. Uh, the where I am encouraged by Christians is the the Christians who are are not making politics their idol. Yeah. And so that they are politically engaged, um, that they seem to have a, a sense of missional identity and missional purpose that views their political engagement as part of their wider witness. And therefore that is really modifying how they do politics. Yeah. And so this is not just a, a right left, uh, issue like obviously mm -hmm. uh, I am inclined to more progressive political views and so I'm grateful for the Christians who are engaging that yeah. but I've also seen folks that I would consider more on the political end of the spectrum that's on the sorry the conservative end of the political spectrum uh, who are also they seem to have a great sense of self-awareness and missional focus yeah. and that is distinguishing them from uh, the rancor that we're seeing on the left and right and yeah. so I think that is where I'm most encouraged. Now, I think they're pretty few and far between. Yeah. But when I do see those Christians, I'm like, yes, you get it. Because they're not they're not pulling out of politics altogether. They're not saying, mm -hmm. oh, politics is dirty. We don't touch it. Yeah. Uh, but they're 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 holding it uh, underneath the the nature of their gospel witness. And as a as a coherent part of that uh, so that the world will see them and go, well, I don't fully understand your theology or maybe even your politics, but it seems to be consistent with what you're proclaiming about with this Jesus. Yeah, for sure. The uh, the the one thing I remember when it was right after George Floyd uh, was killed. And when I, I can't remember. Did, did Was it like the weekend that he got killed or the week where we switched up our whole thing yeah. on a Sunday? Was yeah. that? Yeah. Um, I, I distinctly remember. So we kind of did like an on the fly like a dress type thing. Uh, but then I went home and I remember like kind of just perusing, see what other churches did that week, see if anybody else addressed it. And I was highly encouraged by uh, like evangelical pastors in particular in addressing uh, like the black lives matter stuff or the George Floyd killing, like mm -hmm. addressing that from a, Hey, this is wrong. And it's time for us to kind of, accept when we are wrong as especially white evangelical type people. So I was 
uh, impressed and very like, okay, look at that. People are, and these tend to be young, the younger, more charismatic. Yeah. Uh, like you're Stephen Furtick. You're, he's not, I think he's 40 years. He's not that young, <laughs> but the, um, uh, I don't know. Some of the other cool guys with the cool shirts and the jeans and the cool glasses. I don't know their names, but, uh, uh, uh but those guys, they, they all kind of addressed. I was like, okay, this, this might be kind of a different wave. Maybe evangelicalism is might be, there might be a wave of some social, some, some more social interaction specifically yeah. when it comes to, uh, uh, being aware of and that. I think in general, like our, the, the, the upcoming, um, groups of, you know, the next generation of leaders, if you will, are all realizing that like, especially people who are maybe questioning Christianity or their faith are actually looking to the churches for answers and saying like, how are you responding to what is happening in the world? Because they're realizing it is almost impossible to be completely separate from the world. And that, that viewpoint is outdated and, uh, was safe back then. It was easier for people to, uh, just pick black and white answers to things and to not have to, you know, this is just what the church stands for. And that doesn't work now. You know, I mean, when people want answers for things and they're looking towards like, well, I believe that there's a God, but how can I support or become a Christian when they, my experience with Christians is that they don't believe that black lives matter or they don't believe that, uh, you know, a same sex marriage is okay or whatever that might be. So of course people are looking, I think they're actually looking for answers from the church that we didn't always, wasn't always normal to be asked of us or, you know, as leaders, especially. And so now people have to, and with all of the digital age of things like people, it's easy to find those answers and it's easy to know what people think. I'm kind of curious your opinion on this too, but like I've had conversations about the idea of pacifism or not you know, as a believer. And I think I, I very often fall to pacifism. Like I, I just like kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to like pick a side or, you know, whatever. Is there, is there a problem with that in your opinion? Or, you know, like is, I think to a point there's a healthy. Not having an answer about pacifism. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) no, but like more so like uh, just in general uh, Christianity, like again, various clear examples. A lot of churches for years have said, like, I'm not really, we're not going to really put our opinion out there about uh, gay and lesbian rights or marriage or whatever. We're just going to kind of keep our hands out of it. You know, is there, is that always a good thing? Is that always a bad thing? Um, because I think sometimes there's, there's a obvious positive to speaking up in the right moments and doing the right thing in those regards. But there's always those gray areas like where you look at, you know, well, the Bible says this or that, you know, and people just argue it for days instead of taking a stance or just keeping their hands out of it. Like would, in your opinion, is it more uh, harm than good to be passive in how you live out your faith too, I guess? So, okay, this, this is a major pastoral question for me, right? So yeah. especially during election year. Uh, <laughs> the 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 tension we try to hold in, in Parkside um, is that we want it to be a safe place for anyone who disagrees with us, but that we actually need to say things with enough clarity and enough courage that someone can actually disagree. And yeah. so we feel like we're we're doing it right 
when we can we can speak to issues of justice or sexuality um, or or doctrinal sticky doctrinal issues and say, hey, you know, we could be wrong about this. But here's our here's our interpretation of Scripture and our interpretation of theology coming from a, a place of, uh, you know, God is the one who figures this all out, not us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we also want to make this a place where we encourage questions like literally people text in questions during the sermon, um, but also in a, in a wider picture that people don't feel like they have to be a passive audience and then listen and and accept whatever the pastor says or you're not welcome here mm-hmm. um, so that people can. Uh, graciously and uh, gently dissent and disagree with one another. Um, and we feel like that creates a healthy spiritual environment and also one for growth. So the the only other thing I'll add to that is it, it's kind of to the extent of where you put your boundaries of how much you say politically or theologically. Um, so, for example, like uh, when we're talking about racial justice, right, like I want to be I'm painfully theological and biblical when I talk about racial justice. Like, I'm going to beat you over the head with the Bible because I don't want anyone (laughs) accusing me of just being a flaming liberal spouting my (laughs) politics. Um, So I will talk boldly about justice, but I'm not going to tell you what legislative policies need to be implemented in order to get that justice, Um, because I don't think the scripture speaks to that. So it's a I think it's a place where Christians have to speak with some boldness but also be really careful where they draw that line that kind of jumps into, well, here's my political opinion, which typically means policy position. Yeah. So uh, that's actually, I I love that. And that kind of brings me to kind of coming back to the book. Um, Yeah. The book. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Like what were, uh, cause I think there's a lot, I got a ton of things, especially like when I, even when I'm doing a sermon or a sermon series, uh, I have never written a book. Uh, I intend to try to write a book that I always say, I want to write a book that white girls want to buy so I could retire someday. That's like, <laughs> that's like, that's kind of my, uh, scratch and sniff pumpkin yeah. spice on the yeah, cover. Yeah, scratch and sniff pumpkin spice, your life, your, I don't know. <laughs> you're something. good. You're gold. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, that I'm, that's tongue in cheek, but maybe. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. So back to the book. I think even when I do sermons, if I'm like planning out a series or whatever it is, I always say, okay, there's some stuff uh, that even though I believe deep down, this is the honest to God truth. Like if I say this, somebody's gonna flip out, or somebody's gonna be like, "Man, what did you just say?" Uh, like in your book, what were some of the harder things from more of like a like a social aspect? Like you know what? my atheist friends or my agnostic friends or my conservative friends, they're just not going to be on board with this. Like this, this, even though this is what through the research, through foundational stuff, like this is, this is what I think is a central Christian doctrine. Like, what would you say were the hardest things to write about that, that I had to leave out or no, that you just or... had to write about like, 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 <laughs> like, I don't know, whatever it is, it could be, the Trinity, it could be whatever it is, like whatever you wrote about, you're like, man, mm-hmm. some people are just, this is, people might freak out over this. I don't know. Yeah. The, I think the hardest part was, uh, writing about the Christian hope. Um, so the chapter on hope, which is, uh, eschatology, heaven and hell. I, I have some strong views about that personally. And I, yeah. I have some, some doctrines that I would say, like, I'm really confident on. But in order to to offer an ecumenically gracious book, it was yeah. important that I include it 
multiple views about uh, the, the second coming, multiple understandings about the nature of heaven and hell and soteriology. Uh, and that that got pushed back from everybody. Yeah, yeah. Everybody on both sides was like, why are you including that view? Or you need to put this view in or yeah. that view doesn't even count. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, no, we got we got to put them all in, y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that one I got. That one was that one had the most heat for sure. Yeah, yeah, I could like so. Uh, it's funny because we're doing. A, I think we're doing a heaven and hell sermon. Um, we are. I know we're. <laughs> you doing should a know. And hell I sermon. mean, you're the one who's been like in like two months or something like that. Um, and like you, I probably I, I have thoughts about it, but I'm just like, I don't know if my thoughts will go over well. <laughs> I'm like, man, what, what happened? So like, what is um. I, I guess that's kind of the hot topic, really. That's probably the hot topic in postmodernism in the postmodern world for Christians or for non-believers or people who are leaving the faith. It's this idea of God sending people to the bad place or God sending people to the good place, whatever it is. Um, Great show, by the way. The good place. <laughs> I've always seen the first episode. Is it really good, though? Is it? Funny? Oh, dude, you would totally dig it. It, it goes wild at the end. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Have you seen it? Uh-uh, uh-uh. No? Oh. These guys are the these guys are more into murder, so that's what <laughs> no, they're not untrue. Yeah, <laughs> not in like a we kill people kind of way because that's what he made it sound like, but more into yeah. interest that we know of that we know of. Um, yeah. So what would you say, like, uh, and I have the I have the book up here, but like what? Because I loved it, like your stuff on heaven and hell. I mean, I I was I was like eat, eating that stuff up because I'm just like, yeah, this is it's very consistent, but. Um, for the listeners who, for our listeners who were trying to get to buy your book, what, um, people always have that question. Like, like, what do you believe of heaven and hell or yeah? Like is heaven in the clouds? Is hell a burning lake of fire where the devil pokes you in the butt (laughs) with a pitchfork? (laughs) Well, I, I do include all the, all the doctrines that have been, uh, batted around within orthodoxy throughout history. So that's everything from eternal conscious torment um, to forms of conditionalism, annihilationism. I even give a small little shout out to some form of Christian universalism, uh, even though it's more in the the uh, heterodox category, it's still within the breadth of the church. Yeah. Um, but the, the main theme that runs throughout the whole book, and actually this is kind of a weird way to write systemic theo- systematic theology, is that I, I started with heaven and hell, and actually ended up working all the way back to creation. Okay. And yeah. what I mean by that is, so I, I wrestled with this problem of how do, how do I make sense of heaven and hell uh, in, in a way that fits with the character of God and the nature of Jesus and what I understand about Scripture. Um, and so I came to the conclusion that the, the, the metaphors and the description of heaven and hell, which are primarily in these terms of reconciliation and estrangement, yeah. um, marriage and divorce, you know, Lewis yeah. has a fantastic book on this, mm-hmm. was actually the, the most, uh, I think, biblically faithful and consistent way of understanding heaven and hell. And so I actually used that theme of estrangement and reconciliation and then worked it all the way back uh, and s- saw the narrative thread throughout the entirety of Scripture, oh. and that really just became the basis of uh, of the the narrative in the book as understanding that we had a relationship with God, uh, we are now estranged from God, and God is in on a mission of reconciliation. And you see that played out through the entirety of both Old and New Testaments, and that yeah. culminates ultimately in. 
the 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 grand reconciliation mm-hmm. or uh, the the great estrangement. Yeah, yeah, I think I heard once uh, along the same lines. I believe it was Tim Keller, maybe. I don't know. This was ten years ago. I, I before I realized you could put podcasts on iPods. I used to put them on CDs in my car, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> So I would put sermons and stuff on CDs in, in my car. And I, I, he was talking about Heaven Hell. It was right around when uh, Love Wins came out. So everybody had an opinion on the book, even mm-hmm. though most people didn't read the book. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember li- listening to Tim Keller give a talk about Heaven and Hell. And it really kind of shifted my mind because I grew up in a conservative. I grew up in the Salvation Army. My parents worked for the Salvation Army. So inner city churches, uh congregations of primarily uh, people in poverty or people in, in mm-hmm. drug alcohol type stuff like that. But the, and so a very, very conservative household. So I had like the very, like the normal traditional, I guess, way you would look at heaven and hell where you do good, you go there. If you do bad, you go there. But uh, I remember Tim Keller was saying a thing where he was like, so hell, we always have this, this medieval image of hell with fire and all that stuff. But hell, Tim, he said something along the lines of like, hell is like being in a room with your closest family of friends. And there's, they have this perfect joy and they have this uh, perfect love for one another. And they could experience, they're experiencing like a grand party and you cannot experience it at all. You're there in the room with them, Mm. but you're all you're, you're all you're experiencing is like depression and despair and possible anger probably a little bit of hatred for what you're seeing because you're seeing people be joyful and you just can't, it's impossible for you to experience that. And when I heard that, I was like, man, that would suck. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it would suck so bad. If that's hell, yeah. I like throw, throw me into fire all day, <laughs> you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's hope for the fire thing. Cause if that's hell, ah, oh, man, it's kind of changed my life a little yeah, bit. That, that's really the, the elder son, right? In yeah. uh, the in the prodigal son. The elder son mm-hmm. is, is next to all the celebration but cannot go in even though he sees it because he has refused uh, the reality of grace and the feast. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome. That's really good. When we uh, normally, well, we haven't interviewed that many people, but typically we like to ask um, if there is one thing that you would um, – challenge either Christians or people who maybe have a ne- even a negative view of Christianity, what you would um, challenge them on when it comes to faith. So if there's like one essential or non-essential that you think really um, people can't get past that kind of blocks them from either a deeper faith or whatever that might be either direction. Um, I won't push you one side or the other, just kind of like whatever you think, but well, I'll give you both. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, so whatever you think that might be, whatever we really like to t- challenge people to ask questions and to really look internally and even externally at faith. So, mm-hmm. all right. So for my my conservative Christian brothers and sisters, uh, if you all have any other listeners, I would highly encourage you to uh, do an inventory and a reevaluation on your views of LGBT inclusion uh, and the nature of same sex marriage. Not necessarily because I think you're going to come to my position overnight. Um, however, I do believe that uh, our posture as an evangelical church and our witness has been uh, in many ways flawed and destructive and has driven people away from the gospel. And so if we care about the gospel and we care about people encountering Christ, um, 
And if that is seems to be an issue, and by all statistics, is something that not only keeps LGBTQ people outside the church, but also their friends and their families, yeah. um, then we really need to take uh, a serious look at it and maybe change some of our views, not changing scripture, but changing our interpretation of the unchanging word of God. So there's yeah. there's a challenge there. Um, someone's going to get mad at me, but that's okay. I'm, <laughs> okay. Uh, um, and then for uh, maybe someone who's not a believer listening to this right now, uh, I, I think one of the, the biggest uh, challenges that our postmodern generation has is we can distract ourselves endlessly. And by distracting ourselves endlessly, we will always be able to avoid the hardest questions about meaning and purpose and identity. And so my challenge to someone who's not a believer is to really dig deep and go, man, what do I think about these things? Um, how can I know any of these things uh, are, are true? And what would the source of that truth be that would give me just some relative confidence to operate in the world rather than just being distracted or having a general wishful thinking about those major questions? And I think when people come face to face with that uh, existential reality, uh, it puts them on a path for being open to what God is potentially doing and what the Holy Spirit might do in their heart. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. awesome. That's really good. I like that. that really. So yeah. as we wrap up here, uh, plug your book. Where where can we find it? Uh, where where do people go Googling for you? What do we do? What uh, do we do? Yeah. Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. We got a hard copy out. We got an e-book, which I I think the ebook is readable and yeah. uh, hopefully you know, maybe a paperback sometime later this year. And if people want to hang out with me, you know, I Facebook, I'm not a public figure. I don't want to be that weird. <laughs> uh, so they can just find me on Facebook, Colin Kerr 35. Look for the guy with the, the collar. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's church clothes. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. For yeah. sure, man. Hey, it was really great talking to you. Um, and uh, we'll have to do this again. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. It's yeah, really, y'all are fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring my beer next time. Yeah, yes. yeah for sure. Yeah. If you Absolutely. did bring a beer, what kind would it be? You're a craft beer guy, right? So, like, what's yes. your go-to flavor? <laughs> well, because we're in Charleston, South Carolina. It is hot and humid. We specialize in sours down Ooh, here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are some delicious sours that we make in our local breweries. So, I will oh. definitely be busting out, like, a passion fruit sour. Yes. Nice. Right. There okay. we go. Yeah. All right. Refreshing. We'll set that up soon. I I think we need I need to dip into some sours I know. soon. I we haven't like really that. I haven't hugged into that yet. Yeah. Midwest is the more the alcohol <laughs> and the heavier the beer, the better. That's, true. That's like That's right. we got we got to bulk up for winter. Like we we bulk up for winter and keep that uh, heat in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we continue bulking up all through yeah, summer. Yeah, just through so summer. It just, like, it's it just doesn't stop. Yeah. Um but hey man, it was really great. Uh, yeah, let's do this again for sure. Um, talk about other awesome topics, uh, get into other chapters, uh, in your book for sure. I think, you know, it really great book. I highly recommend it. Um, so Colin, thanks, man. It was a good conversation, Thank you. man. Thanks, yeah. Colin. God bless. All right. Yeah, you, you too, too man. Good talking to you. Thanks. Bye. All right, man. That was some good Wee. Colin is, uh, definitely somebody we need to get back on yeah, here. Buy his book. Yeah. Yes. Um, highly recommend faith, it. hope, love, uh, look it up. Colin Kerr. That is K E R R, right? Yes. Colin Kerr. As in so, 
As in Kerr. Colin Kerr. Kerr. I guess um, Steve Kerr, who's the coach of the Golden State Warriors. Okay, sure. Right. Same <laughs> last name. Probably. Well, he's probably, it's probably related. related. Yeah. No, I'm just, sure they are. You guys should know Steve Kerr. Who the I heck know is that? who Steve, Steve Kerr, Kerr is. He was like the yes. three ball guy in the, the later 90s Bulls. I don't watch things. Um, anyway, so <laughs> that was an awesome interview. Uh, like I said, check his book out. Go buy it. Uh, you can get digital copies on Amazon, and yeah. that's what I, you found it on yeah, Kindle. That's what I got, yeah. um, so buy it, uh, support him. He's got some uh, some good writing in there. So uh, check it out. For now, we'll wrap it up quick. This was uh, we don't have much time for chatter. So Christian Eighth Podcast expl- done. No, done. Uh, no. But n- big news though. What do we have, Jen? What do we A do? Website. We do finally. A a website. Finally. Wow. Wow. Do you want to see what we look like? Yeah, you can uh, haze us. <laughs> but uh, if you go to christianafpodcast.com, you can find all the links that I talk about every week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Zynga, <laughs> MySpace. <laughs> LinkedIn. Yeah, Spotify. <laughs> Check us out on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, MySpace. Oh, I feel like we should go. Man. MySpace is I think it's not as cool. You can't. Uh, no, it's terrible. Change the back. It's not as good anymore. The background. Change the back. That's really the like only reason it was cool. You really. Change the background. You could put sweet music and then you can move everything. And around, it makes you like an awesome. early aged coder. Like, um, yeah. you yeah, I know. You had to code. Go, you had to learn code. You had to find the websites that had right. all the code. Take that. And then millennials. Like, Please no. don't crash my computer. We are millennials. I know. You Take that Generation we're Z. We're elder millennials. Yeah. Let's go Generation with Z with your stupid TikTok, which is like a. That's a weekly thing. That app has never been on my phone and it never. The reality is, we probably connect really well with Generation Z if they find us. So we should not bash them too much. Um, You're great. Stupid, stupid 20 year old morons. You're great. (laughs) You're great. No, uh, the door open while we're recording. It's oh, fine. That was a ghost. So anyway, uh, as as we uh, log out here, just make sure you go onto our new awesome website. We bought uh, the website for t- at least two years. So uh, if this no. if this true. podcast goes down, it'll be up for two years. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, check it out. We're excited about it. Uh, I spent way too much time uh, choosing colors. And no, I'm just kidding. Just doing dumb things. That's great. Looks great. Uh, it'll be updating too as we go along. Get some photos up there. But uh, for now, check it out. <laughs> Evan's squeaking in his chair. Uh, but again, thank you again to Colin Kerr for uh, the quick interview here we had. And uh, again, check out his book everywhere. Uh, just Google it. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, love, not and. The essentials of Christianity for the curious, confused, and skeptical. There it is. I did. So, sweet. We'll have him back on soon. So in the meantime, uh, keep questioning. I don't really have a, I didn't prep the tagline this time. Question everything. Question uh, question, question, question Colin's church, book. Question your pastor. Check out. Question your mom. Your mom. <laughs> mom, what's up, man? Uh, but anyway, keep questioning. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you all so much. Uh, in the meantime, I am Jesse. I'm Evan. I'm Jen. And this is Christian A. F.